This Seattle Medium podcast is sponsored by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. The U.S. Army Board of Correction of Military Records is making amends for an injustice that took place after the Houston riots of 1917 that resulted in the court-martial convictions of 110 black soldiers from the 3rd Battalion, 24th Infantry Regiment, also known as the Buffalo Soldiers. And with this morning to talk about this issue is Angela Holder, a resident of Houston, Texas, and a descendant of one of the soldiers involved in the incident and court-martial. Good morning, Angela. Uh, yes, good morning, Chris, and good morning, Seattle. Oh, good morning to you. Uh, Angela, let's start off by talking a little bit about the Buffalo Soldiers uh, and what they were actually charged to do in Houston at that time. Uh, Houston received two military contracts from the United States government to build two training facilities here, uh, Camp Logan and Ellington Field. And the soldiers uh, were stationed here to guard the construction of Camp Logan. All right. And can you talk a little bit about the significance of the construction of Camp Logan at the time? Uh, yes, it was a training facility for soldiers that were to go to Europe to fight in World War One, And that was the significance of the building of Camp Logan at the time. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, Houston received a very good uh, financial windfall from having those two training facilities here in Houston at that time. Mm, okay. Now, and I understand the riots, as they have been historically referred to, that took place on August 23, 1917, stemmed from racial tension and provocation against members of the Buffalo Soldiers that boiled over uh, with the violent arrest and assault of two black soldiers at that time. Yes. Uh, what's happening is that we were living, we, meaning the United States, we were living under the, court, the United States Supreme Court decision of Plessy versus Ferguson of 1896 that divided the country along a color line. And in some parts of the South and around the country, period, uh, there were some people who were very zealous in uh, enforcing that separation. And here uh, in Houston, on the morning of uh, August 23rd, there was supposedly a dice game going on. And there were some young men who scattered when they heard that HPD on horseback was in the area. Supposedly a couple of these guys ran into the home of a black woman, Sarah Travers, who did laundry for a living. And HPD was doing a house-to-house search, withdrew a house. Uh, they, she challenged them, and she said, why are you in my home? She was beaten, taken out in a state of undress. And uh, one of the soldiers stationed in Houston at this time offered to pay her fine. And he was pistol whipped and put into jail. A couple hours later, court marshal, I mean, Corporal uh, Baltimore came up and asked the officers what had happened. 
and the officers took offense being challenged by this black soldier. He, too, gets struck. He runs. He gets shot at. He didn't get killed, uh, but a rumor starts uh, that he had been killed. He was brought back to camp, but it still did not stem the hurt feelings that this guy who's very popular, that he could have been killed. Mm. Right. And, and let's talk a little bit about the aftermath of the riots, because I believe 110 soldiers were tried for their role in the incident, and I think it's fair to say that they did not get a fair trial. As investigators were looking uh, back into the issue many years later, found numerous irregularities that culminated into the largest mass execution of American soldiers by the U.S. Army. Yes. Um, even in my research, that I, too, saw that there were some irregularities. I took uh, issue with some of the line of questioning that uh, it seemed as though uh, speculation was allowed and ad- was admissible as testimony. And so there were other irregularities. I can't speak from a military point of view, but this is what the military, in this application of its definition of what military law is, went in and they did see some discrepancies and addressed these uh, discrepancies when they made their decisions. All right. And, Angela, let's fast forward to today, and, you know, the Army is correcting at least a portion of the fallout from the court-martials. Uh, you, you know, you cannot bring any of the soldiers back to life. Uh, but the Army Board of Corrections of Military Records, after a meticulous review of the records related to the court-martial cases, affirmed uh, that there were significant deficiencies that permeated the proceedings uh, that denied them due process and other basic rights that really rendered the proceedings unfair. And the Board recommended setting aside all convictions and characterize the soldiers' military service uh, uh, finally as honorable. Yes. My great-uncle, when I started doing this research back in 1987, uh, I received a certificate of service from the Military Personnel Records Office in February of 1988. And it said service terminated by death without honor, which was very hurtful. Uh, The men were not given due process. Again, in doing research that uh, even if the military were going to execute, I felt that they should have at least been allowed to appeal. When the general, one of the generals on the tribunal asked the command here uh, in Texas, he said, "Uh, what have you done with the soldiers? Soldiers? Oh, we've already executed them and buried them. He said, you did what? You executed those men before they could ask for clemency. And that's what made the military change the order of execution with General Order Number 7 that said you cannot execute until uh, the case has been reviewed by the War Department and the President. So where my uncle and his 12 comrades did not get that consideration, for the two following court-martials, 16 soldiers came up for execution. And... Of the 16, six were executed in September of 1918. The other 10 were given varying degrees of incarceration. Mm. Yeah. And can, can you talk about um, what this decision by the um, uh, Army Board of Corrections of Military Records, you know, what that means not only to the, to the sentence of the soldiers in question today, but also the African-American community as a whole? Uh, there are three of us. Uh, Attorney Jason Holt uh, in New Jersey, um, he's the descendant of private first class Thomas Hawkins, 
Uh, there's another descendant, Charles Robert Anderson. Uh, he's a descendant of Sergeant William Nesbitt, for whom the largest court-martial military history is named, and myself, uh, or Corporal Jesse Moore. And this will not bring them back, as you mentioned, uh, but it will give their souls peace. And this is what myself and other descendants, this is what we've wanted, uh, that this could be corrected. These men were good soldiers. They were honorable. They gladly served in a time when a country did not want them, but they proudly served. And to see their records written in this fashion, uh, it, was, it was just devastating. But now to see the restoration of their honorable status, uh, it's, it's just amazing. To the African-American community as a whole, we are a praying people, and that has been our strong suit. Uh, a lot of times, you know, people, we're looking now at the prosperity theology that's being preached. We're looking at all the materialism, but we are a praying people. This situation has not been done by human hands. The restoration was done by divine intervention. Uh, when I look back and I see uh, the opening of doors, the changing of minds, uh, the touching of hearts, this is what this is. I will tell my brothers and sisters, pray don't stop praying. Keep the faith. I know it sounds cliche, but it is the thing that kept the black community strong in all the faces of, of denial and hardship. We kept the faith. Mm. And I understand also the families of the soldiers uh, also may be entitled to some benefits. Is that, uh, that correct? The military mentioned that during the ceremony, and I would have to do some research on that because I was so engrossed, as I am now, with hearing and seeing restoration of their records, of them being embraced back into the fold uh, of the military. Historically, at the time when these men's, men were executed, yes, there was financial hardship for the families. I've seen documents where those families did request benefits. And so fast forward... Uh, the generations that may exist now, there might be nieces, nephews, what have you. I'm on a generation of great-niece, great-nephew. So it's interesting to see if any of these people are, are still around at this time uh, to get those benefits. Mm. Right. And, Angela, before I let you go, you know, I believe that you are a history teacher in the Houston area. Um, can you talk about the importance of writing history? especially as it relates to incidents like this in our country? Yes, uh, I'm a history professor at Houston Community College. I'm a native of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I did this for my great aunt, and uh, she was a, a younger sibling, and her older brother was missing uh, the family. We didn't know where he was buried. Uh, they knew that he had written a letter stating that when uh, you all read this letter, I'm dead, but the family did not know where he was. And this is a task that I took on as a six-year-old child for my great aunt. Um, this is significant uh, because a lot of times we cannot change uh, the things that have been done wrong in the past. And as I said before, if you can get this change, if you can get this divine intervention on your part, yes, it is wonderful. It is fantastic. Uh, I will tell any of you all today, become the historians in your family. 
find out where you come from, what are the origins. You might find that you have something similar in your family that may need to be addressed. Uh, and this is what makes history alive. It's not a dead subject. It's very much alive. Mm. All right. Well, Angela, I want to thank you for joining us on today's show um, and just bringing your unique perspective of this situation and incident um, to our audience um, here in the Pacific Northwest, but all across the country. And thank you, sir, for having me. It's a pleasure. We'll have to get you back on. Have a great weekend. 